All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and with me today is my good buddy, Marty Frederick. Marty, what's going on, man? Not much. Just, uh, you know, it, it's evening time. We we set up the Christmas tree. I mean, it was already set up with lights, but we all put ornaments on this evening, and uh, that was a good night. Yeah, that's what's up, dude. It's it's interesting. Normally, we, we podcast during the day, but we're going with... Uh, a night conversation for once, just to hey, mix it up okay. a little bit. We felt like we needed to shake up something in the show. We couldn't quite figure out what it was. So we decided switching to nighttime was probably the yeah. one thing that we needed to change. Well, Josh, I, I don't, I don't know that they can keep a straight face for much longer um, right. and, and neither can I. <laughs> um, so I'm going to introduce our guests. Uh, we yeah, have go for it. our good friends, Brandon and Anthony. How's it going guys? Gentlemen, doing great. How are you? Just you're just now decorating your Christmas tree. Well, like I said, the tree was up with the lights on it, but there's a lot of people that need to be come to that need to be have schedules aligning to put the ornaments all up together. So, right, you have you have is it 15 kids? 12? <laughs> well, I have four kids. Oh, uh, four. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then my mom and dad have four, and then we all are in the same place. So, yeah. Okay. There's, it's a it's a proverbial COVID party over there. It's a, it's a, we we actually we don't we don't meet any of the state requirements when they say ten or less people can meet for this thing or that thing. We oh, we're, okay. we're beyond. That's the easy way. That's the easy way to opt out of family dinners. It's like, hey, look, governor's orders. Sorry, I gotta I, can't. I gotta leave. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. CDC is not happy. <laughs> Well, guys, so we, we know you guys listen to our podcast, at least on occasion, but um, we're going to still ask you the questions anyway. Um, Brandon and Anthony, who are your favorite ice hockey teams? See, I'm a little, uh, I'm at a loss because I wasn't sure that hockey was a sport. <laughs> Is, it, it's in there. It's like the number four or number fifth sport in the country, right? Uh, it's sort of behind, I think, PBA. Professional bowling. <laughs> it's I did go to a Carolina Hurricanes postseason game one time. So, okay. you know, I, okay. I've, I've been to an NHL game. 
If I had to choose, uh, I, I'm not a like I, I'm sort of kidding around. I I think hockey's interesting to watch. It's fast paced. I'm just not a fan. I have to pick a sport to not follow because I follow a couple of them really hard. So uh, uh, I would I would just pick the Rangers just because I love New York, baby. Got it. I thought I thought at least one of you was going to say, you know, isn't curling but more more interesting than hockey? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's on ice, right? I mean, it's the same thing. Right. So any sport that you can use a brush with is always yeah. <laughs> it's always a plus. Yeah, I think they don't, that's the one. I think that's the. They one don't wear skates when they do curling, though, Marty. So it's very right. different. They don't. No, they use they have special shoes. Ice dusting. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> So we brought you guys on the show today um, because uh, we wanted to have a conversation around, uh, we've been, I guess, over the last couple of months, we've had a few conversations around the idea of just unhealth in the church, uh, whether it be on staff, whether it be if you're a member of the church or you're a first time attender or a second time guest, uh, hopefully I'm not giving any of you PTSD using those terms, um, but uh, we, we've been talking about those kinds of things a lot, I guess, lately, uh, at least in um, in comparison to other topics. And so um, we wanted to bring you guys on and have a conversation around that idea. Um, so I guess the question, the first question we would ask um, would be first, before we get into that topic, um, do you guys just want to tell us a little bit about you, like yourselves, who you are, what you do? Um, you can use as much detail or as little detail as you feel comfortable. Brandon, why don't you go first? Uh, yeah. So I grew up in the South, um, kind of in a more um, traditional style Baptist churches, not Southern Baptist, but kind of like high church kind of Baptist churches um, and really loved church growing up you know, didn't really, I don't have the stories that people have about growing up in like really repressive environments or anything. Uh, but then I went to college at a really conservative institution. And that's kind of where I picked up a lot of like the evangelical culture things. It's also where I basically kind of got sniped up by these, you know, by the kinds of churches we're probably going to talk about today because of m my talent you know, the, the, the worship leader kind of tropes, like I played music, I, in a band and I, you know, had weird hair and, you know, I just kind of felt the mold, fit the mold of kind of what, you know, the modern church movements were kind of looking for. And I ended up moving to California and helped plan a church there uh, and then moved to New York about four years ago uh, to work at a church uh, that we all kind of share in common. Got it. Anthony. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, uh, I would say I shared somewhat of a similar background as Brandon. I would like to point out that Brandon has a speaking podcast voice that I don't have. He goes into this different <laughs> register that I've never heard him quite talk at before. Maybe it's the Christmas lights in the background. Uh, I don't know if, that, if that's dating the podcast. I hope this airs before Christmas, but I don't have that voice. So I'm just going to talk the way that I know how to talk. I grew up in the South uh, as well. You can hear with the accent. I grew up in Georgia. Um, and then I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My dad was a pastor in the Assemblies of God. I went to, uh, they weren't officially an Assembly of 
God Bible school, but they were definitely Pentecostal. Went there, met my wife there. I actually had a really good experience growing up in church. I'm not the typical pastor's kid that has terrible horror stories. My dad is my role model. Uh, he sh- he showed he showed me what it was like to be healthy in ministry. My mom was a healthy pastor's wife, stay at home. She wasn't the typical pastor's wife. She didn't do everything in the church. She wasn't always there, but she showed me a great example of what it was like to be a parent uh, and to care about your kids and not sacrifice them on the altar of church. So um, I'm incredibly grateful the older that I get now that I'm a parent, uh, that I had that upbringing. I moved to New York after uh, a short stint in the Midwest my wife and I, we got married and we moved out to New York and we worked out there in two separate churches over the course of 15 years. And one of those churches is where we, we met each other. All four of us uh, crossed paths. I probably worked with, I don't know who I worked with longer, probably Marty, I think. Marty or Brandon, I'm not sure. Marty came after me, so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so Brandon I think was I was still there when I left, so. <laughs> so, so I, don't, I can't do the math. I'm bad at math anyway. Uh, I'm doing a lot of fifth grade math these days, though, because I got a fifth grader. So, um, so with there for 15 years, and we recently left New York. We're not sure exactly how long we're going to be gone from New York. We hope to get back someday and continue doing what what we felt like God called us to the city to do. In the meantime, uh, we're serving at a really great church here in the Midwest, uh, and just really having a lot, a good time, uh, allowing God to redeem some things that maybe we had lost sight of and allowed to ourselves to lose sight of and lost over the last few years. Uh, so we're having a really, a really refreshing time for our family. Sweet. Well, right on guys. So thank you for, uh, sharing that information about yourselves. And, uh, like, I guess now it's, it's been made clear. We kind of all, uh, worked within the same, uh, organization together. I was there the shortest, so I didn't get to know you guys, uh, as well as the three of you knew each other, um, which was a bummer, but it's been fun getting to know you guys, uh, since then. But basically what we wanted to talk about, uh, was just personal experience of toxic culture in the world of church stuff. So whether it be, Uh, experiences of narcissism or fear-based leadership or some kind of unhealthy loyalty culture uh, or anything like that. Uh, We just kind of wanted to open up this space uh, for the four of us just to kind of share our experiences together, kind of just get them out there, you know, maybe in hopes that somebody listening uh, will hear their own story, you know, within our stories, and it'll help them know that they're not alone, that they're not crazy, uh, that there is something better (laughs) out there. So, uh, however we want to tackle this, we'll just kind of go for it. The floor is open. So any kind of experience you would like to share, uh, the floor is yours. And I'm sure Marty and I will, will chime in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I won't start off with a specific experience, but I can get us started here. Uh, if you know me, you know I can talk for a while, so just <laughs> shut me up. Mute my mic, you know, if I go too long. But I, my experience, I've had, I've had the, this awakening, I would say, and these moments of epiphany over the last, I don't know, almost a year, I would say, maybe maybe a little more than a year. And 
a lot of it was brought on by this pandemic that we're going through. I know that it hasn't been a year for that yet, but uh, there were some rumblings before that. But this pandemic has done so many different things. We, you know, we won't know for years and decades even the implications that it's had on our lives, our families, organizations, institutions, that sort of thing. But I had this sort of awakening where at the same time that our country was going through turmoil and racial reconciliation and, and uh, not even, I mean, reconciliation hasn't necessarily happened yet, but all of these racial issues that were coming up that had been there for years and years and years, there was this tremendous parallel that I was seeing in the church and not a specific church, but like in the church. <clears throat> and I can't even explain it now. If I could, I would write a book about it and make a kajillion dollars. But these parallels of what our country is going through and what the church is going through are just uncanny. For instance, you've got this uh, authoritarian leader that our country has elected duly, you know, four years ago that seemingly went off the rails completely over the last couple of years and especially this year. And, but you still have this huge group of people that are, that have sworn allegiance to him. And they will stick with him no matter what, no matter how poorly he talks about them, no matter how he abuses them. But then in the church, like this parallel is that these groups are made up by some, a lot of the same people, by the way. But in the church, <laughs> we have found, you see the same sort of thing where this authoritarian person either starts a church or takes over a church or is just a leader in the church. And starts to pick away at what really makes the church the church. Starts to make decisions that people question, but then they just go with it because, well, he's in charge or she's in charge. Equal opportunity here, right? And I read something the other day. I actually texted it to Brandon. Uh, he was probably in a drunken stupor somewhere and didn't read it. But it was... Uh, <laughs> It was from the New Yorker, which I like to send those things because it makes me look smart that I read the New Yorker. So uh, I sent him a link. There's this article in the New Yorker where it said that even, and it was the whole crux of the article was about how evangelicals are drawn to, to the current president that we have. Um, and they said, you know, the bottom line is that evangelicals, whether it be a political leader or a leader in the church, they always seem to find themselves drawn to people that are authoritarian and abusive, hmm. authoritarian and abusive. And so I look at that and my experience, I don't know that I, I mean, I probably have been abused in some way throughout my life in, in church, but this awakening that I've gone through over the last nine months or so has really opened my eyes to see a lot of the unhealth that exists within the church. And I know that we're going to talk more, but if for nothing else, it's shown me with dramatic detail of what I feel called to ministry. It's shown me in dramatic detail what God has called me to not be. He's called mm -hmm. me to not do those things, to not be that way. And even if it fights against my personality or my leadership style, I have gone through this awakening that says, you used to think that this was okay and this is what you wanted, but you don't because you don't want to be this. So there's a good diving board to get us into the deep end. 
Yeah. I mean, I totally, I totally hear that. I think that, I think that that really kind of in some ways encapsulates a lot of the problems that we've all shared in ministry. And I think, you know, for me, you know, it really just, I mean, I can get real detailed, I guess. I mean, you know, we were working at a church together, you know, about, it's been basically just over a year since I left that particular church. And, you know, there were a lot of issues there, narcissistic leadership. There were, uh, you know, all the kind of structures you were talking about at the beginning of the show exist there and exist in a lot of evangelical churches, period. It's like, it's what you're taught to aspire to. I mean, the books that are written about church quote unquote leadership and the the conferences that you pay five hundred dollars a pop to go to will tell you like these are the kinds of environments that you want to set up you know growth oriented churches you know uh, these kinds of things and like um you know there's some good and there's some bad to that but i think the place that i found myself in just over a year ago was realizing that i had reached the end of the rope in ministry um for a lot of different reasons you know, one, one reason being that, you know, I had, I had more questions than any single person that I was ministering to or pastoring. I had far more questions about the Bible and God than any of them had. And I'm like, there's not a place for me to ask those questions. Um, if I ask the, if I ask these questions or start getting real about where I'm at with a lot of these things, I'm going to get fired. Number one, like I'm already in a dangerous situation because I know that my job is on the line. If I even like come forward with, these are the things I'm thinking. And the, you know, these are the mindsets that I'm in right now. Um, and so I was like, I, I have to come up, I have to find an exit strategy. You know um, I think one of the things that I find in the kinds of churches that we were a part of and, and a lot of evangelical churches are, are systems of control, wanting to control every aspect of your life. They want to control your home life. They want to control your, your private life. They want to control your financial life. They want to control every aspect. And, you know, there's a huge difference between, you know, personal accountability and accountability in a group. And then someone literally wanting control of every aspect of your, of your relationship with God, with your family and with them, you know, and but like, I why just, do they want to do that? Like, why do they want to have control? Sorry, this is Anthony. Uh, why do they want to control so many different aspects of your life? I've never been able to answer that question. The only thing I could possibly think of is because they're afraid that you're going to, they either don't trust you and they think that they have to father you and be your parent because they know better than you, which is sort of narcissistic. Or they're afraid that you'll see something and you you'll see behind the curtain and you won't be uh, you won't be loyal to them anymore. Well, I think it comes from a foundation of fear. Uh, everything is viewed through the lens of fear. Theology is viewed through the lens of fear. Church growth and and leadership is viewed. Uh, viewed through fear. We have to show you exactly how to do this because if you try it on your own, you're going to screw up and we're going to be held responsible for it because, you know, we're, we're the church leadership and God has put us in control. And if we tell you the wrong thing or allow you to read a book that, you know, may cause you to question, like we're going to be in trouble, we're fearful. And when you live in that constant state of fear about, you know, I, I mean, it just, it makes everything screwed up. And, you know, when we, 
I mean, I, this kind of sounds hippy dippy or whatever, but literally it's when you look at your anything, especially religion and your relationship with theology and your relationship with the Bible through a lens of fear, I just, I've never seen it go good, but every community that looks through those things through the lens of love, I've always seen it work out. Even if, and that doesn't mean that they were all liberal or all conservative or all have one specific, you know, lens at which they're doing these things. But like, if they approach it from less fear and more love, there's always like a thriving community underneath. But in the instances where you just see so much fear whether that's from an authoritarian leader or if it's an adherence to some particular theology, it just always goes bad every single time that I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I really do. I think that's the the key thing is, is fear plays such a large role, but also I think too, there's part of what I think is interesting in that fear Um and like, go with me on this because it might sound a little bit weird at first. But I, I recently heard uh, a guy named Peter Rollins. Uh, listeners, some of you may have heard of him. I don't know if, if any of you guys have interacted with Pete Rollins in his yeah. work. Um, but he has a cool accent, so I like listening to him. <laughs> <laughs> He's from like Belfast or whatever. But he tells this this parable. And then, so I'll tell it real quick. And then I'll, I wanna, I'll make a statement. And then I'll jump to Marty. But I think what he's getting at is true. He tells this story about uh, British soldiers were occupying Irish territory at the time. And these group of British soldiers, they were in this tiny little Irish town with absolutely nothing to do. But since it's Ireland, they had a pub on every corner. So that's what they would do. They would go and hang out at the pub at night. So they go into this pub and the the guy in charge, the leader of the, the group of British soldiers says, hey, do you guys know Irish people are really stupid? You want to see something funny? And so the guy pulls out a five pound note and he puts it on the ground. He like stomps on it, makes it dirty, crumples it up, you know, puts it on the table. And then he pulls out a one pound coin. You know, he spits on it, shines it up, make it look real nice. And then he places that on the, the table as well. And he says, all right, guys, now watch this. So he looks over at the bar and tries to find one of the drunker dudes in the room. And he sees a guy named Seamus. He says, Seamus, come on over here. I want to show you something. And so Seamus comes over. And he's like, what do you got for me? And he said, look, Seamus, you can either have this crumpled up dirty bill or you can have this shiny coin. Which one do you want? And so Seamus looks down the, you know, the coin kind of catches right in his eye properly. He picks up the coin, bites it with his one good tooth and says, this is what I want. I want the shiny coin. And so the British soldier says, all right, you can have it. And Seamus goes back and all the British soldiers laugh. And they do this over and over again all night to all the different drunk Irish guys in the bar. And then they leave. And then this American woman happened to be sitting there in the bar watching this happen all night. And she approached Seamus after the British soldiers left. And she said, Seamus, you guys realize they were making fun of you the whole time. They were messing with you, right? Uh, she said, you realize that that coin is worth five times less what that bill is. And he said, oh yeah, of course we know that love. But if we chose the, the note then they would have stopped playing the game. You see, okay? <laughs> so Seamus outsmarted them, but here's how it applies. A lot of the time, and this is a bold statement, so you can tell me I'm wrong. A lot of the time within the church world, it's just one big game. But as soon as somebody comes forth and points that out, everybody knows it's game over. 
people will stop playing. And so the truth of the matter is people on stages in churches, they're asking the same kind of questions, wrestling with doubt, having a hard time, you know, dark night of the soul, whatever language you want to use as the people sitting in, you know, the pews or the chairs or the floor or whatever <laughs> your, your church does. Mm. Right. And there's this game that's being played and people know this game is being played because as soon as someone acknowledges it or peeks behind the curtain, like you were saying, then people will know it's game over and they're afraid of that. So I think that was a long way to say, I agree with the whole fear thing. Um, and I think there's also a lot of doubt and frustration and like, uh, most of the time when people are super um, like fundamentalists or clinging to their views, it's not that they're actually all that certain. They're just repressing their questions and their doubts. They're shoving them down instead of letting them boil up. And so I think that ha- that plays a role as well um, because that stimulates fear, that stimulates authoritative kind of leadership. You know, don't read this, don't listen to these people. Uh, Theology doesn't suck is a pervert name, you know, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, Marty, yeah, you know, or go ahead, go ahead, Marty, go ahead, no, no, Marty. Go ahead. Anthony, finish up. Yeah. I was just going to say like, just that was make, that made me think um, like I've where the, the church that, that we're serving at now um, I've seen both sides. Okay. So I've been in a church. I've been in churches where the, the leaders were what we're describing here. They were, they were so, I don't know if they were afraid. I don't, I don't want to speak for them, but it seemed like they were so afraid of dissent, so afraid of questions that anytime somebody brought up a question that was contrary to what they quote unquote knew to be true, whether it be a theology or a method or a system, uh, if anybody called those things into question, they were anything that they did from then on was almost completely discredited. You know, and they had to they had to start working themselves back from that. Okay, so you you took a step too far, and now we've got our eye on you. We're going to make sure that we know that that you're going to be loyal to us, but we're watching you, and you know, and I'm going to tell you that we're watching you. Okay, um, and a lot of times that was passed off as well. That's just the that's just their personality. That's that's their leadership style. Okay, but that that doesn't make make it okay. That's still unhealthy. It's still abusive. It's still wrong. So the place that we're in now, I work for just as strong, just as dominant of a leader. But I can sit in that guy's office and I can tell him what I really think, knowing that 100% of the time his response is going to be, huh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to think about that. Because this guy, he's a little older, but he's secure enough in his own skin of what he believes and what God has called him to do and who God has called him to be and the leadership style that he has, that he can hear a thousand people say that they disagree with him. And if he's adamant that he's right and that he's doing what God has called him to, he's fine. And he'll do everything that he can to win you over. But ultimately, he can't win you over. You have to come to terms to it with it yourself. So, I mean, I've just seen such a con- contrasting difference between leadership styles, and it has nothing to do with being a strong leader or not. You can be a strong leader and be a good shepherd. You can be a strong leader and just be an ass, and I've seen both. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that, man. It's that's one thing that's interesting. The place that I'm at now. So I had two crappy experiences. Uh, the first two were um, crappy in their own unique ways. Uh, but the place that I'm at now is actually kind of like uh, what you're talking about, where there's um, some really solid, healthy leadership and questions are welcomed and actually asked for like all that kind of stuff. So there is a great way to do things. And I've experienced that. So I don't want to put off the, the opinion either that just everybody, <laughs> everybody sucks. Um, but yeah, but I think you can't to, use that word. Suck. Oh, right. It's inappropriate. I forgot my bad. Uh, sorry, listeners for subje- uh, subjecting you to such profanity. Um, <laughs> but I think also what's interesting in what you're saying, Anthony is the idea that the the gentleman that you you work with now is um, confident enough in himself to be able to field questions because narcissism, when you find narcissism in a leader, narcissism is actually a way it manifests itself because people aren't confident. It's actually the opposite. They have very low self-esteem. They're not confident in what they think or believe in. So they have to project this, you know, whatever false kind of self. Yeah that comes off as narcissistic. So. No, that's right. That, that's, that's huge. And uh, I, I was shocked the first time that the guy that I work for now, um, he was making a, a pretty significant decision recently. And he literally said, he said, you know what? I may be wrong. And if I am, I'm going to own that. And I was just floored for a second. I'm like, I, I, I haven't heard that. It's been, it's been so long since I've heard that and it not be like, you know, facetious or just saying what should be said when I really know that the, the that behind the scenes, it's like, I, I know that I'm wrong. And if you think I'm wrong, then you're just playing dumb. Yeah. So I'm, I'm listening to the three of you guys talk and um, each one of you, as you spoke, brought about specific situations in my mind and examples in my mind of things that either I personally experienced or I watched others experience like in isolation of me, or I was brought in as sort of backup against somebody and watched this person have to experience that. And um, there was, there was plenty of time. I, I've talked about this on the podcast before where um, I was, I, I knew it and I couldn't do anything about it, but I was being used as a pawn to reprimand Josh on numerous occasions where I would be brought into an office first shared. I I would be shared with what had happened and what Josh had done and what they were, what they were planning on doing. And then they would call Josh in and I was supposed to sit there and support the leader, even though I didn't agree with what the leader was doing, but I, I recognized in myself uh, in the multiple times that that happened, um, a personal sense of self-preservation that was being it was almost like a fight or flight mentality where I was in, in the moment knowing that if I was like, no, wait a minute, that's not right. You can't do that. That put the spotlight on me directly um, to where now it's no longer the other person that they even care about at all. It would be about me because I wasn't willing. Um, and the phrase that I heard used, which all four of us, I know is, we've heard used before this at this place was um, you, you just got to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, if you want to, if you want to last around here, you've got to drink the Kool-Aid. And then they would even um, say something like, I know that's such a terrible phrase because it like specifically <laughs> relates to like, you know, 
a terrible, terrible situation in our country's history. But they would literally say you have to drink the Kool-Aid in order to survive around here. And I remember being in the car with this leader and told the reason Josh won't last around here is because he won't drink the Kool-Aid. Um, That's right. That's the eight. My eight coming out. If y'all are Enneagram people, I'm a seven wing eight. That's my eight coming out. <laughs> and so I think, and then as I consider even the place that I was before I was at the place where we all work together, um, the, the leader that I served with there, he was coming out of working in the business world. Um, he was older than I was, came. That was his first ministry role as well. He had not done that before, but he went and got an MDiv. Um, and this, this leader was so personally um, insecure with himself that I even even remember being told by somebody during the interview process, an elder or a deacon or something, um, this leader can be like a bull in a China shop. If they want it, they're going to get it. And that's just the end of it. Um, and uh, I remember very specifically um, just dealing with this person as soon as they realized that I wasn't to be controlled anymore the opinion that this person had of me flipped hundred percent turned completely on its head. And I was then left, I was the outcast and literally turned into um, literally, I mean, literally I was said like, Hey, listen, we're going to need to um, bring another person on staff. And so uh, I know you've, you've got this office space that you're in, but actually we're going to ask you to move your office over to this other room, like down the hall it was essentially a storage closet that you're going to turn into your office. Um, and I was like, well, couldn't the new person go and work in there? Like I've been in this office for like almost two years now. I said, no, no, no. It'll make more sense for that person to be next to me uh, in my office. So uh, we, we need you to move down the hall. And it was literally, I mean, I was already planning to leave this place. I had already been looking. We, I had already even like said that I was leaving. So it was almost as if they were saying, okay, well now, now that you've said you're leaving, we're just going to kind of push you off over here. And so I just moved out of the church. Like I didn't even have an office. Like I had this room that I could put stuff in, but um, the, the level of fear-based control within that situation um, was pretty intense. And, and it was because you, you never knew why you were getting a phone call or a text from that person. Um, and then at the place that we all worked together, um, very, I was told you'll never hear from me on a Saturday. Uh, but that was not true. That never yeah, I was actually. about to say, I feel like Marty, <laughs> that's, that was, that was um, bullshit. <laughs> that was a lie. <laughs> uh, but, but what was interesting about that was, um, when you would get a message from that person, no matter what day of the week it was, it began to form and Josh can speak to this because I know this happens with him too. It formed in you. You would look at your phone, you'd see a notification and you would get this anxiety immediately. You forgot to do something. Uh, you're in trouble. Um, what if one of the, my, the minuscule things that you were responsible for wasn't done quite right. Uh, the phrase uh, that we all, all, all are well aware of and cherish is yes, I think that's right. Or no, I don't think that's right. Those were the phrases that were that were used regularly. <laughs> I heard. I don't know about you, but I heard. I think that's right. Yeah, a lot more than I heard the other. I heard, uh, yeah, I, I, I heard. Right. I heard. Yeah, I think. Yes, I, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right on, on quite quite many occasions. Um, I mean, I think that's right can be code for so many things. It could be. Let's see. I think that's right could mean I think you're wrong. 
<laughs> I think that's right. Could mean I wasn't listening. Yeah. Uh, I think that's right. Could mean um, uh, I just want this meeting to be over. And I think that's right. Could mean I just, I know that if I don't agree with you, we're going to be here another two hours until I just say mercy. I think so that's, that's right, just, Anthony. I think that's uh, right. Thank, thank you. I think that's right. <laughs> I, think, I, I think like, you know, everybody who is in like a less than ideal church situation has like different stories and different ways they were impacted by it. And I think like when I hear a lot of people that were at the church we were at and similar churches, a lot of it is, you know, work life balance or narcissism from the leader or, you know, inability to be heard in a meeting or whatever. And I think like mine was different because I was having to deal with all of that while also having to wear the mask of, I actually still believe all of this the exact same way that all of you do. Uh, And that was way harder. That part Mm -hmm. of it was way more difficult for me because I like, I'm, you know, Anthony can speak to, I'm the good soldier. Like you tell me what to do. I'm like, I'm good. All right, fine. Whatever, whatever it is. I I don't care. Like I like, let me just achieve the goal. Let me just, you know, follow the direction, whatever. But all of that same time, I was having to deal with a lot of the doubts that I'd had for years and, and like problems with just church in general. And, you know, I don't know, like that coupled with the narcissism and coupled with the insane non-work-life balance, I feel like it it was just, it was way too much. It was way heavier than I could hold. And so I think that like in those environments, the people, the people that are in those environments, but are also like on teetering on the edge of belief at the same time, are at like extreme risk. You know what I mean? Because they're being abused in like all the ways that everyone else is, but they're also like teetering on the edge of their own like faith journey. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I've got, so I think that there, there, there is something that can be done. Like I feel like that a healthy work environment, whether it's a church or some other organization or whatever, I think that there, for there to be health, there, there should be room for people to question. Uh, and church is trickier because you're not just talking about, you know, whether we should make this decision for our business or not. You're talking about morals. You're talking about what, you know, what your interpretation of the Holy Bible is, you know. And so I think that you were probably done a disservice, Brandon, not just where we uh, worked together, but maybe even before that, where you felt oh, yeah. like that you couldn't oh, question that, that just by questioning what you believe that you, uh, you were sinful or that you were, you were backsliding. I mean, we're all sinful or, but that you were losing your faith. And like, I look at, I'll, I look through a lot of things through the prism of parenting. Um, I know that two of us on here are parents, um, there's one of you on here I hope is never a parent and the other one that probably will cheat. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I looked through it through the prism of parenting and I'm like, you know, I like Nikki and I, I, I've told Brandon this recently where we feel like that our kids are probably going to either be the most worldly kids, grownups in the entire world, or they're going to be the most on fire for God Christians that the world's ever seen. 
because we give our kids room to question and they're young. Like we have young kids, but we give them room to question what we believe. We never tell them, Hey, this is just what our family believes. This is why we we're teaching our children about Hanukkah. We teach our children about Ramadan, about all the, and we're not universalists. We we're actually, I consider myself a Pentecostal Christian, but we want them to know that there are plenty of people that don't believe what they believe. And so we want them to know why, even from a young age, why they believe and that it's even okay to question, to ask questions about that. So Brandon, I think that you were done a disservice, not only before you came to where we were, but I'm glad that you and I had the relationship that we had, that you were able to come in. I was Brandon's supervisor, I guess I was his (laughs) boss. Uh, But, you know, I'm glad that you had the opportunity to come into my office and shut the door and sort of talk through some of these things. Um, And I think that you're still working through a lot of things, just like we all are. But I'm glad that you at least had that. And I think that's probably in part the reason that you were around as long as you were. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's the, the biggest like negative I can say about most, and I'll just like blanket it with, with evangelical churches is not leaving room for there to be a spectrum of belief within the community. Right. Like it doesn't mean that you necessarily preach everything that exists within the community from the pulpit. It just means like allowing for people to have this different like spectrum of belief, because the truth is the people in your church have that spectrum of belief, whether you acknowledge it or not. I mean, you, I mean, in the place we worked, they just, they, they truly believed that everyone thought the exact same way they did, including me. And it couldn't have been further from the truth because in those narcissistic situations, you isolate yourself from the truth because the truth will dethrone you. You know what I mean? Because no one is a total adherence. No one is an acolyte of that narcissist. You know what I mean? They're all trying to insulate themselves from damage. I, I want to, I, I'm not, I don't want to take over here, but I do want to draw the distinction. I would love to hear from Josh and Marty. Uh, I want to draw the distinction that Brandon and I geographically were in different places than Josh and Marty were. And um, I, beyond my opinion on the state that Marty and Josh were and me thinking that it's the worst state of the union, um, I, I, there were differences. We had different experiences, I think. Um, for a lot of different reasons. I, for one, was in this organization for probably for more time than everybody here combined. I was there for a really long time. So there were definitely really good moments for me. Like I, I look back, oddly enough, and I look fondly on my time there. Um, there are a lot of things I didn't like, but there were a lot of things that I'm like, you know what, I'm really glad that I was there and had that experience. I am who I am because of that of that time. So I do know that Brandon and I had a little bit of a different experience uh, just because of geography and for the people that we reported directly to. Uh, I know the guy that Brandon and I record that reported directly to, we feel like that if Josh and Marty, if you had been working for that guy, you probably would have stuck around a lot longer. Uh, Cause I think that that guy is, you know, one of the nicest guys in the world would never hurt anybody intentionally. And, uh, you know, is just probably one of the most, you know, salt of the earth people I've ever met. Um, but we had a very different experience. And so we were shielded, we feel like, 
from some of the things that you guys were shielded or you guys experienced because you were really almost like in the middle of the fire compared to, to where we were. We had, and just to be clear, like, you know, without naming names or whatever, you were, you not only had a direct report, but you had like the, the founder the guy of this, yeah. <laughs> the, of this organization and, and not just in the same town, but literally down the hall. And mm-hmm. so if you were in trouble with one of them, you were in trouble with both of them. Yeah. For us, at least we felt like we had an advocate that we could go to and plead our case before we were thrown before the court. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, Josh, before you go, I always want to I, like yeah. kind of transition into you. Cause I think, I think that's true. I think the differences between the two places where we were, where we were was much more into use their term entrepreneurial, where we had a much smaller campus. We had way less staff. Um, we were asked to do more things individually than I think maybe not, not more than what each of you were responsible for. But I, like I could think of myself specifically uh, There's no doubt. You don't have to, you don't have to church it up. There's Definitely. no doubt. We well, know think- you, you were doing, you, you too were probably doing the job of, of four, at least, at least twice yeah. as much as we were. And well, I mean, the, the case could be made that I didn't do anything. <laughs> I, and I, I think about like when Josh left um, before someone was hired about five months later than that, um, I just was doing his role as well as mine. Um, and anything that went along with it. And, and it wasn't because there wasn't someone to trust to do those things because there wasn't someone to do those things at all. They just, the person wasn't there. Um, and so I think that that established a different culture than I think what you guys got to work within simply just because, you know, when I looked at my list of things that I had to do, um, Anthony, we've talked about this before, um, I was dipping my hat into, you know, nine different, entirely different roles um, each each day, where I would have to compartmentalize what it meant to be a group's pastor, to be the web editor, to throw my opinions on a design or a flyer design or a video design, and then like lead rehearsal, and then like go to a meeting and do talk about something else, and then I'm like sorry, when, when you said. With, when you said web editor, yeah. I had PTSD. <laughs> I'm thinking about these web pages and these yeah. infinite number of web forms. And this link led to this page that had to have everything on it, which yeah. the next page had to have everything on it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I was meeting with contractors to like work on this. And then like, so it was like, there's so many different things to do that I felt like by the time I, you know, sat down and like had rehearsal on Thursday, it was like, okay, wait, what songs will be singing again? <laughs> like you put it all back together. Um, but Josh, I know you got some things that you want to share because so Anthony, similar to what you were saying, I, I would say a large portion of my personal time, like my personal time working at that place um, actually was fine. I didn't have the experiences that Josh had And there are things that I know about that Josh experienced and there are things that I don't know about. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of those types of things. So um, Josh, I want you to have an opportunity just to share a little bit of that. And then I want to pose um, sort of like a sub question about this discussion. And then we can close up with like just a general question after that. So go ahead, Josh. 
Sweet. Well, yeah, I just real quick before I go anywhere, I just want to affirm something that Anthony mentioned uh, because the particular individual that you guys are speaking about, um, like that you guys reported to, I have literally zero negative things to say about that dude. And I told Marty consistently, why the heck is he one of them? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like something is off here. <laughs> Something's not right. Um, so that's the I, billion dollar question. Yeah. Like I have zero ill will towards that individual. He was only ever nice to me. Like I was able to not to toot my own horn, but like, I was able to have some like actual theological conversations with him where like the person that I directly reported to, to quote a different former person who used to work for him, couldn't have a theological conversation with a kindergartner. Like it was, it, and that's something that matters to me. But anyway, that person, I have no ill will towards them. Um, they were an anomaly and I really appreciated uh, some of the conversations and the small relationship that I did have with them. And I appreciate that, Josh, because I know you're not just saying that in case he listens to this, because we no, all not know at all. I don't care. <laughs> he will not be listening. He will not. He's not allowed to listen to this. This is right. probably blocked on his computer. It is. <laughs> he's not allowed to pull this audio up. It would. They have. It would set off so many red flags in South Florida. He wouldn't know what to do. There's there's text message <laughs> notifications set up to my previous <laughs> boss and the founder that if this person accesses our stuff, it just blows up. Plus, we don't work there anymore, so I'm not so sure he can even access the internet. <laughs> <laughs> they oh, they got hamsters running the internet now. <laughs> they do. They do. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think that's awesome, and that was always weird to me, um, but I appreciate him very much. And there's other people as well. Like you're, you guys, um, I never had any issues with Marty um, and, a, and a bunch of others. Uh, but anyway, I think one thing that I wanted to say that I thought was interesting about Brandon um, is like I can relate to a lot of what you were saying, Brandon, although my problem was I was too young and dumb to keep that stuff to myself. <laughs> and so part of the reason right. <laughs> I was there for such a short stint of time, I think, what was it? Eight or nine months uh, was because like Marty still makes fun of me for this, but I showed up to my job interview in like khaki shorts and a t-shirt and a hat. Like, I don't know why they hired me after that, but Marty makes fun of me for that literally all the time. And then I was always the person asking, well, why do we do it that way? Or like I would constantly buck the system or <laughs> challenge things. And I know. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that didn't bode well for myself um, ever. So that's a bummer. But I think really the, the thing that sucks the most that, you know, aside, there's so many stories I could tell or, or different things because I do think I had a unique experience because of where I was, like you guys pointed out, who I directly reported to, and also just my personality, I don't know when to shut up, um, made things worse. But the thing that constantly still comes up for me, uh, if I'm honest, is fear, which I know isn't something that's always the manly thing to bring up. Um, but like genuine trauma induced through fear that I still deal with today. Anytime I get a text message from my boss, my heart sinks. And this person has never done anything ever to make me have to feel that way. Not once. In fact, when the former uh, founder of the organization that we all worked for together uh, sent a threatening letter <laughs> to my current place of employment, 
Um, I showed him immediately, my current boss. I showed him immediately, explained to him why this person was angry at me. And in the most Christian way possible, he said, well, I hope he does call me so I can tell him to go pound sand. <laughs> Which I was like, who says that? <laughs> but so, so the fear thing was so crazy because that, that was always the constant mode. Like there, I mean, Marty can attest to this. There were multiple times when I was like, I don't, verbally assaulted is too strong. Berated. Okay, Marty's saying no, verbally assaulted, like screaming in my face, fingers, you know, flipping stuff off my desk, stuff like that on the regular. And then I'd come back to work next day and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I know how sensitive you are and I probably shouldn't treat you that way. So like that was a constant. And um, I remember my, my last day working there. Um, I was told I was backed into a corner in this person's office, quite literally. I mean, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, literally backed me into the corner, finger in my face and said, if you ever do or say anything to cause harm to this church, I will personally ensure you never work in ministry again. Now, I realize that's a ludicrous claim for somebody to make. Um, however, I believed it. And I, part of me still believes it. There's still a, a partial uh, fear that, you know, hangs around there. Um, or I remember a time this, uh, we were doing a teaching series and they had the bright idea of including a theological moment. And the theological moment they were teaching was incorrect. Like it was just factually not right. And I, I called the founding person on it. Um, so, and I didn't tell that was your first mistake. That was my first mistake. Yeah. (laughs) And then I kept pressing the issue because he was like, basically after a couple, he wouldn't talk to me about it. He would go through my direct report and then I'd have to tell him. And it was like that. Eventually it got to the point where we said, look, our people aren't going to know the difference anyway. This is a better story. We're going to go with this. And I challenged him and I was like, but you are wrong. You are lying to people. And my direct report pulled me into his office, screaming at me, don't you understand I'm trying to protect you from this individual? And I knew, like... Uh, you, you were a part, I mean, it's <laughs> sickness. I mean, the person, I mean, yep. okay, this is like free therapy, but the person that you're talking about is the victim of the exact same thing exactly. that you... That exactly, you, right. He, you're right, like... The truth of the matter is, is that he's experienced the exact same thing that Mm -hmm. you were experiencing. Exactly. And he was mad at you because you wouldn't do what needed to be done to not be beaten by daddy. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, mean, you know what I'm saying? These are the, I mean, these structures happen in households. These happen in churches. It happens everywhere. And I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, I mean, trauma begets trauma, hurt people, hurt people. I mean, you've heard it mm-hmm. said in a thousand different ways, but that's exactly it. I mean, now I mean, that now that I'm have I'm I'm away from the situation and I have clarity, like you said, Josh, the somebody for that person to say that they'll make sure you never work in ministry again. You're right. It is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right. Because I mean, I, like. There is no, there's, I don't know of anybody in Christianity that has the reach big enough to make that happen, you know, and especially the people we're talking about here. Like we're talking about, 
we're talking, they have the reach of places that you probably would never want to go and work. So big deal. You know, they have a reach into places that are operating the way that they're saying they should operate. They have a reach into places that are saying that it's okay for the pastor to be a little narcissistic, mm-hmm. you know, which let me just translate that. It's okay for the lead pastor of a church to be psychologically unwell. That's what they're saying. Cause that's what narcissism is, right? That It's a sickness. It's something that is psychologically wrong that needs to be corrected. I don't know if it can be corrected, but it needs to be corrected. So for somebody to even make a claim, they're clearly doing what Brandon was saying is that they're just passing it down. Mm-hmm. They're passing it down what they know that they are going to get. If Because I'm telling you, what probably happened before that conversation was that person was instructed. You go and set him straight and you tell him that if he ever speaks anything poorly about this church, we'll make sure that he never works in ministry ever again. And so he was a messenger. Like he was literally, because if he had not done that, he would have gotten in trouble for not delivering the message that, that way. And no, I guarantee you that he was I've told both that. sides of that. Oh yeah. I've seen it. That yeah, he was I, told you, you'll be fired if you don't get Josh to understand this. A hundred percent. That's in the ether. Or I'll hold you accountable if something happens after he's gone, I'm going to hold you accountable. And so even to this day, those people are probably still a little frightened. I mean, the only, re- how old are you, Josh? Sorry, 20. you don't have to reveal that. No, I'm, it's all good. I'm 26. <laughs> I've, dude, Marty calls me 12 all the time and then like makes, <laughs> makes jokes to guests that I like do underage drinking and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm, tw- <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm 26. <laughs> dude, like, <laughs> so the fact, the fact that, you said that you got a threatening letter or whatever. The fact that somebody that sh- that is old enough to be your father easily and claim to be a spiritual father to you. I heard him say those words. Yeah. Signed your ordination certificate. Yeah. <laughs> claim to be a spiritual father to you for him to send a threatening letter to you and imply that he is going to make uh, that he's going to get you in trouble with your current employer tells me that he's afraid that you know stuff that he doesn't want you to say, or you're living rent free in his mind. Yeah. Why would somebody that is old enough to be your father feel threatened by you to have to come and to address you in such a way? It's, it, it's, uh, it's sick. It's a sickness. Yeah. It's a mental sickness that yeah. is not okay to be happening in any organization, but it's darn well not okay to be happening in a church. Yeah, yeah I, I think you guys are right. And Marty and I have talked at length before because I have genuinely considered writing this individual a letter um, and basically saying like, dude, I, I realize that the, the reason you behave the way that you do is because of X, Y, and Z. But the truth of the matter is that would not be received. In, in fact, that would be taken and then used as more, you know, whatever it would, it would create unnecessary drama that's, that's not required. Dude, you're so right, Josh. Like yeah. the, the best thing to do is yeah, write that letter, rip it up, and then go change the world. Go yeah, do yeah. what God's called you to do with your life. That's the best thing that you can do. Go, yeah, do sure. go do what God has gifted only you to do. And that's how, that's how you deal with it. Because Word. If, if, you, if you send something back to them and you engage it, you're engaging the troll. Like mm-hmm. this person is going to, uh, well, I'll stop right there. Yeah. 
So, so I want to, I want to transition us because I, we're, this is a great conversation, but I know based on conversations we've all had before, we could talk for four more hours about these things and be stuck there. Um, so Anthony, way, way long ago, like 30 minutes ago, you, you talked about how um, the leader you want to be essentially, I'm summing up your words is in spite of these leaders that you've seen or these leaders that you've heard about. And so that, brings about an interesting thought for me that I want to pose to you guys. Um, it seems like there's a lot of those types of leaders right now in the church. There's the guys like Mark Driscoll, there's Carl Lentz, um, there's the Bill Hybels. I mean, we could go on and on and on, uh, you know, just over the last five years, naming leaders, uh, you know, of different places, you know, Harvest Bible Chapel, these types of things. Do we need these authoritarian, authoritarian leaders right now to bring about enough Anthony McCormick's wanting to work in ministry in spite of the example that they were given to bring about the change needed in the church for decades and generations to come. I think that, I think there's a simple answer, but I, but I also think there's a deeper thought process there. I mean, history says that there will always be, large groups of people that are drawn to those personalities, right? There, there's always going to be a mega church that has 10,000 people at it, you know, and, and, you know, maybe they're there for good reasons, but for, for some of them, they're there because of these control structures. And that's what draws the people because people are looking for answers. You know what I mean? And if that person at the center of the swell says, I have all the answers, I've got everything you need to do to make your life right, to get your finances right, to see the purpose in your life, and they can deliver those answers, that will always draw people. It will also be the very thing that eventually brings them down. You just answered a ton of people who that that was the structure and that's exactly what brought them down because no one has all the answers, right? Nobody's life is perfect, you know? But I think what's happening on the edges is that a lot of people, people like me, are leaving the church, period. They see through this. They've seen how it's affected their families. They see how it's affected their friends. They see how it's affected uh, marginalized groups in the church, LGBTQ, people of color, and they're leaving. And they're not doing it loudly. They're not throwing a grenade in the back in the door as they shut it, as they shut it on their way out. They're just they're voting with their butt and they're leaving, you know, and, you know, the mega churches, maybe you don't see that. But the churches of 200 churches of 150, they're going to be gone at the end of covid. These churches aren't going to exist anymore. And it's because people are just done with it, you know? And I think like COVID was, COVID was a, I mean, it's like you said, Anthony, it's like, it, it, it kind of started before COVID, but COVID was the thing that revealed a lot of it. Um, and COVID was the way that a lot of people who were already on the way out just went all the way out. You know what yeah. I mean? Who had thought about leaving for any number of these reasons, whether it was the structures or the questions or the whatever. And I think, um, you know, going back to what Marty's saying, I hope people with sense stay, you know, leaders with sense stick around 
because there's going to be a lot of people looking for church community that are out there looking for something, you know, or, and I, I think, um, I hope, I hope, and I pray that a lot of the structures that we see that we're talking about right now will actually be torn down because of COVID because of the people leaving, you know, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing. I mean, I think, I, I think that the, it's a whole different conversation, whether the, the church is in its correct form right now. I think we're always going to be imperfect to an extent, but hmm. I think that the church does need, I think the church needs strong leaders. The church needs strong leadership, not authoritarian because authoritarian is negative. I think the church needs strong eights. I'm an eight too, Josh. Um, I think the church needs that type of leadership, but I'm dumb enough to think that you can be an eight and also be a good shepherd. Hmm. I've failed miserably. Like I've mercy and grace have never been my strong suits, but I have found myself almost groveling to people that I've hurt and that Mm -hmm. I've damaged in the past saying, you know, please forgive me. And I've learned from that and I've messed up again. And then I apologize. And then, you know, I I move on, but I, I think that God, the person that God's called me to be is to be a strong eight on the Enneagram leader, but to not lose sight of being a pastor. I think that's what the church needs. And I'm not saying the church needs me. God knows that there's way better people than me. But I think that the church does need that. To answer your question, Marty, we do need strong, confident leaders. That doesn't disqualify somebody that's not an aide. It doesn't disqualify a soft-spoken leader. I mean, honestly, Marty, one of the um, – I can name the name of this church. Um, well, I won't, or I won't name it. But there's a, a mega church in – the South suburbs of Chicago that is one of the largest churches in the country, fastest growing. Um, their pastor is a strong leader, but he is also one of the most compassionate, mm-hmm. caring shepherds that you will ever meet. And that's proof that it can be done. You can lead a large growing effective church and not be, and not be a jackass. Yeah. Josh and I've talked about that before is the, the concept you we we were using lens as an example, um, but to a larger extent, you know why why can't these people that are in these top notch places um, that the something happens and everything falls apart and they they have their fall from grace, if you will, you know why can't these people that are in those roles also be just genuinely good people? And I mean not 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 holding back the concept that no one's perfect and like we're not going to ask these people to live lives of perfection um and i and i think to an extent we place some of these people on pedestals in inappropriate ways and so then it makes it tough when they make a small mistake it seems much larger than it really is um but i i think about and i i almost hesitate to use his name because i know that he's such a taboo topic in the church world but like the, the concept of a guy like Joel Osteen his church is, I don't know if it is, if it, if it actually is, or probably is the biggest church in the United States. You don't ever hear about 
some sort some huge scandal that Joel Osteen is wrapped up in. Now it doesn't mean he's not, but it but you never hear about those kinds of things, but you do in so many other places. Um, and, and that's interesting is that as funny as it sounds, Osteen almost gives me a little bit of that ounce of hope that maybe it's possible for there to be a leader that runs a huge ministry like that, that isn't wrapped up in some massive scandal that ever, that it's going to be on CNN and Fox news and everyone's going to hear about it. Can I give you I mean, a better, can I give you a better example, Marty? Yeah, Please. Sure. if i'm allowed to say it um i think when i think of a leader of a church so it's not quite a mega church because they don't let the church get so big once it does they actually split it and then they have like these whatever but uh the largest church in canada is called the meeting house and uh my friend bruxy cavey is the head pastor at the meeting house and he is one of the most humble the most kind, compassionate individuals you will ever meet. Like, period, hands down. I have not met many people that are like Bruxy Cavey. And uh, mm. just one one thing, just to clear his name, because I don't, I don't think I've shared this story with Brandon and Anthony, but when I was about to lead a growth group uh, through one of his books called Reunion, which is about the gospel, right? Sounds like a great thing to talk about. Um, I got in trouble for it. And Bruxy's name was raked across the coals, like unfairly so, like terrible things that were demonstrably false were being brought against him. I printed it out like the church's statement of belief. I showed YouTube video, all sorts of stuff. And this guy's name was raked across the coals. So um, part of me is happy at the time. He wasn't a friend. He was just someone I admired. Um, But now I'm kind of happy that I'm a friend of his kind of just despite the other people. (laughs) But also, Bruxy's awesome. Uh, so I think of of, of people like Bruxy um, to say that it can be done. Because for a long time, I believed that in order to be the pastor of like a megachurch, you had to be a certain kind of person. And that wasn't the kind of person that I ever wanted to be. But I think it can be done. So we, I, I know y- y'all look like you were about to throw shade at Joel Osteen, which I don't have the nice <laughs> stuff to say either, but which, I wanted to, and, I was just trying to no, save my I, friend Marty from your hatred. <laughs> well, I will say, I mean, I'll say this, you know, I mean, you talk about guys like Carl Lentz, or you, t- you can name any of these guys who had a recent fall from grace, but I mean, I honestly have a lot of empathy for these guys because I believe yeah. that they're, they're victims of the very things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. The, the pedestal that you build for yourself will be the very thing that pulls you down from it. You know what I mean? When you you build a structure where you put yourself at the top and say, I have all the answers. I'm the coolest person in the world. I never screw up. I pastor stars and I pastor, you know, Instagram celebrities and they look up to me. And then, but you're also a part of a church structure that never has open, honest conversations about sex. You never have open and honest conversations about theology you know, you, you start building a pedestal that you can't possibly live up to, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I mean, I don't have empathy. I don't have empathy for that. I don't have empathy. You're, you're way nicer than I am. I don't have empathy because the pedestal that people like that are standing on, like you said, they built it for themselves and the people that, and the people that are their boss enable them and 
Sure, sure. All the while they're preaching this message that is the antithesis of what they know that they are living outside mm-hmm. of that pedestal. I don't know. I mean, gosh, I, I'm not perfect, but when it comes to somebody that is that exposed and that in mm-hmm. the public eye, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have empathy at all. Well, perhaps, Sorry, perhaps, an ex- perhaps an example similarly to that is a guy like Marty Sampson, uh, who is also a part of the Hillsong <laughs> culture. And Marty Sampson, actually, as far as like a worship leader was concerned, was someone that I personally looked up to. And he he didn't have like some moral failure or something like that. He just started being public with the fact, essentially, Brandon, what you were saying, he was public with the fact that he had questions about his faith and that he wasn't so sure that the things that he would, he had been singing about and things that he had been writing and all those different things uh, were true. And when he, when he came out with that, he had all these people, I mean, just absolutely just tear him down. Uh, we, we and I, I remember the church I was in after the place we worked together, we, we, we had Sunday afternoon conversations after the service. And one of the topics was, should we sing songs that Marty Sampson has written because of these things that he doesn't believe anymore. And there were genuinely people in that room that said, no, we should not sing his songs. We should not, we should not talk about him anymore. We shouldn't do any, we should just completely take him out of the, because he did this and this and this and this and this. But then when you point out, oh, well, here's some of the songs that he had a hand in writing. Uh, these are some of your favorite songs that like you'd never want to get rid of. These people were sort of like, they were kind of backpedaling, but they didn't really know that they could. And so it was very difficult. But I think all that, all that leads this to- happened where, This happened recently or like when you were- It was in the place that I began working after uh, when I worked with you guys. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I guess that kind of just brings us to, and I know that we probably don't want to take too much time, Um to sort of our last question, and I and what I want to do is maybe frame this question through the lens of where we collectively work together. Um, and that question is, um, is, is that place or that style of place redeemable? And if you had to take two steps to begin it on that path, what would you do? I mean, I, I, I never want to say that something is irredeemable. Um, but I will say that I would never go back. Uh, you know, you couldn't pay me enough to walk back into that. Once you've tasted and seen, I think like when you're in an environment when you're in any environment, you start, like for self-preservation almost you start kind of like not seeing things you know but once you taste and see something different you're like i can never go back to that and that's definitely where i'm at now you know um i'm actually at i mean i'm thank god i'm still at church working in church um definitely in a church that aligns more theologically with with how i see the world and how i see the bible now um, and that's a great thing. And so I, I can't even, I can't even dream of going back to anything like that at this point. No. Yeah. I, um, so like I said before, I, 
I look fondly on on my time there in that organization. Ninety uh, percent of it, uh, I look fondly on uh, because I have a bigger, you know, sample. So I look fondly on it, and I think that there were a lot of good things that happened with me. Uh, I, I got a lot of good opportunities. My first uh, real opportunity to teach um, on a regular basis and not and not just sing, not that singing is bad, but I had aspirations to, to be a teacher and that sort of thing. And, and I was afforded that opportunity and, and taught, and I learned a lot of things that I didn't know that I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to learn elsewhere. And so I'm forever grateful for that. Um, as far as redeemability, I think, I think that churches that are similar and have similar problems, I do think that they are redeemable, but I think that it takes a really uncomfortable look in the mirror and a really uncomfortable conversation where you have to allow, it almost has to be a third party that has no skin in the game that's able to come in. And all ego aside, you got to let somebody come in and, and assess what the problems are and just give you gut level feedback that says, this is the problem. This person is the problem. If it's a person, these people are the problem. If it's more than one and allow those changes to happen. The problem that you run into that I will say in, in the church world these days and I'm not necessarily just pointing a finger at this, this place we were all at. But the problem that you run into is when you have organizations that were started that have a founder and the way that they have things organized, they have it in, organized in such a way that they are almost unimpeachable. It's like I, they, can never, never, they can never be told to leave. And if you try to, well, they're the chairman of the board and they'll veto. And enter a public. Yeah. So like it's, it's, it's almost like a cautionary tale to, to anybody that's thinking of starting any type of organization, especially a church. It needs to be set up with plenty of, of third party input and it needs to be set up in a way that if you turn out to be an a-hole that they can get rid of you, even if you're the founder. And this place where we were at is not set up that way as much as they say that it is, it's not. And I, I could prove it that, if I had to, but I'm not. <laughs> that goes that goes for every organization. I mean, you know, even even Facebook and Google and Amazon are dealing with with this same exact kind of structures where there there is no accountability. You know, for all of the talk of accountability that happens in the evangelical world, there is such a lack of accountability. Dude, I mean, tell tell me about it. Like the fact. <laughs> that I, I don't want to slander some anybody's name, but the fact that the the most recent fall from grace that happened, the fact that that it that there's so much detail out there, and how long it had been going on, and people knew about it and swept it under the rug, and only went public with it when their hand was forced. The fact that that happened, there it, it shows you there is no accountability. It's all about the end game. It's like, hey, if you can produce and you can get out up there and you can teach and you can draw a crowd, then fantastic. We're just going to sweep this under the rug until we can't, until we can't anymore. But the fact that all of that can happen 
it's just it's a cautionary tale that there has to be accountability. There has to be a way for somebody to say, look, I think that you are speaking to people with the wrong tone. And if you don't straighten it up, something's going to come tumbling down and be able to say that without fear of losing their job. Because where we were at, they, they will say that, like they say, oh, there's accountability. Somebody can call me out on anything, but there's a conflict there because the two people that can call that person out can also be fired by this person, but cannot fire this person. Go to the board and have this person fired because they're on the board as employees. They are the, the organization. board. They are the board. This is crazy. It, it's it's so it's so crazy. I don't know. I'm 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 rambling here. Go ahead, Josh. Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough question for me because I I don't know. I think. Um, part of me has gotten to a place where I realized that, um, I wouldn't be the person that I am today without the experiences that I had. Um, and one helpful thought that has helped me specifically, um, you know, to use language, I like transcend and include my experiences that I had, um, is just after the resurrection, uh, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he still has his wounds, um, which means that they matter. Uh, it's all a part of it. And so I've, I've found peace in that. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to, to lean into that idea. And that's been very helpful. Um, as far as redeemability goes, um, you know, I'm not sure because <laughs> another one of the things that happened to me was when I resigned, I was told why I was resigning. This is why you're resigning. And this is what we're going to tell people. And this is how it's going to be, right? This is your story. This is why you're resigning. And at that point, I was just so done that I would just, yeah, sure. Tell whatever you want to say, go ahead. I even wrote this person a nice letter, a thank you note for letting me work at their church and everything. So I try to take the high road. Um, and it was just, you know, thrown in my face. So I think because of the, the systems that are in place or not in place where there is no accountability, um, like the, the amount of gaslighting that goes on <laughs> is just insane. Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, one person uh, that's on that board gives me hope, and that's a person that all of us already mentioned. Um, I, I don't know why he sticks around, um, but maybe my hope is that he feels that he can bring about positive change or he sees something that I wasn't able to see um, or he has relationships with these people that are, you know, bigger than the negative experiences that I've had. Uh, not that I want to write any of that stuff off, but part of my problem is I seek out the best in everybody and then I get my ass kicked for it like every day. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, for a while, part of me, if I was honest, was like, you know, oh, I know, you know, I never want to see anything bad happened to this place or anything like that but then like i just kind of said that because i thought that was a thing that i you know was supposed to say whereas like the <laughs> truth is like god my my struggle god why do you why do you let things like this happen why do you allow your church to be like this and then that's a part of marty to go to a conversation you and i were having the other day and you were asking me why i like open and relational theology aside from the point that it kicks ass um 
it helps answer some questions like that. For me, a God who can't manipulate people, who doesn't override people, uh, but rather is working in and through every single experience at all times to bring about the most amount of good and love in all situations, that God is palatable to me because of past experience. I can't personally, it may be something wrong with me, but I can't personally worship a God that allows places to exist that continually perpetuate harm, that spit in the face of Jesus, that take in young pastors who are excited and just want to do good and then shit on them. Like I can't live with a God who just allows that to happen over and over and over again, because somehow it brings about the greater good. I can't believe in that kind of God. It's the problem of evil, but in a very specific way. And so I don't know. And I don't think like, I don't think that God, um, I think that, People, if you look at the, you know, biblically, the church is Christ's bride and we are God's children. And I think that if, I think that the people that abuse God's children, whether they, you know, their salvation is secure or whatever, they will be held to account. Sure. sure. I, I don't think that there's anything, I don't think there's, that you can mistake, make no mistake about it. People that abuse God's children will be held to account, even if they are God's children. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I walk into a room and, and I, if I walk into a room and I see my daughter that is 10 years old wailing on my son that is five, as much as I would take a bullet for my 10 year old daughter in that moment, I am going to punish my 10 year old daughter Sure, because I see her ab- abusing my five year old son, you know, yeah, That's yeah. A figure of speech, of course, mm-hmm. and I, I will take up. And so I, I, I think that God is the same way. Even if somebody is his children, if they are abusing his children, they will be held to account. It's not going to be this, oh, well, as far as the East is from the West. Okay, <laughs> maybe eventually, but you're going to be held accountable. Somebody's going to ask those people, why did you treat my church this way? Sure. Why did you extort sure. my church? Why did, why did you use my church to line your own pockets? and destroy a lot of people along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, I, I hear you, Anthony. Thank you for that. Well, I think just to, I'm going to take this opportunity to um, wrap us up. <laughs> I'll be the guy. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll take Let, that. Before we wrap up, can I ask one more serious question? Yeah, please do. Do uh, you and Brandon shop, both shop in the, the, the same ladies eyewear section at Warby Parker. You devil. Mine are Warby Parker. How did you know that? Those, those look just like my wife's. That's why. <laughs> mine were from the men's link. I, I hovered over men and then, yes, I, and then clicked men. The men's yeah. link. Did the, men, did the man's uh, eyeglass model have on extra skinny jeans? <laughs> well, is, is Warby Parker a worship leader uh, specific place? Because if so... Well, mine are Warby Parker too, but they're Definitely masculine. Okay, but you minor, can't talk. Minor from Zinni. So. Oh, that's the knockoff Warby Parker. <laughs> yes, correct. Well, all, all I'm going to say, you know, is, um, Anthony, your glasses are black, just like literally everything else you ever wear. Except I don't think, for this sweatshirt. I don't think I've ever seen you wear anything that didn't have black in the Dude, in the whole, the whole theme. So. I had a, one of my co-workers, one of my new co-workers, 
she asked me the other day, and I, I didn't know where this was going. She said, uh, she said, can I ask you a, a, a weird question? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. She said, how many black hoodies do you own? <laughs> and she said, I only asked because honestly, she said, I've never seen you wear anything other than like a black T-shirt with a black hoodie on top of it. And so I explained to her, like, in, in really it's a uniform. Terms, yeah, I said, you know what? I said, a few years ago, I just realized that I was going to the same office and sitting in the same chair and seeing the same people every single day for about 60, 70 hours a week. And I just made the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be comfortable. I don't care what they think about me. I never have. So why am I pretending by changing clothes, you know, every day? So anyway, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Matt Carter, if you know who Matt Carter is from the band Emery, he's also a bad Christian podcast. Yeah. He yeah. Own, like he specifically owns like seven of the same exact black t-shirt and then yep. like however many pairs of black skinny <laughs> jeans and like that's his whole wardrobe and like it's nice. I dig it. I respect it, Anthony. I do. I, Brandon wears black too. I, I don't wear skinny jeans. I can't breathe when I wear them. <laughs> well, Something can't breathe. <laughs> A good, a good friend of all of ours. Uh, I wasn't even wearing skinny jeans that day. At least too skinny of jeans. But, oh man! Uh, Mark, I, are we, are we I won't. I'll, 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 just, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> uh, but Mark, Anthony Mark. was brought into that, and he, it was unfair for him. He didn't need to be bring it brought into that situation because he was went, tasked with ans- asking the question. <laughs> Marty, he, if you bought a pair of skinny jeans at the counter, he would be like. Um, do you have a tailor? I'm, I'm going to need one part of this let out quite a bit. <laughs> well, um, nice to close. Up, <laughs> um, I, I think, I think if I think about, um, the place that we all work together, I think that, um, I think the majority of us would say the, a large portion of the goodness that we experienced while working at that place um, had less to do with the staff and more so to do with the people that we got to engage with, mm-hmm. whether it be our volunteers or whether it be just church comers or, you know, church goers or whatever. Um, Some good coworkers. Yeah. I, I, I oh, yeah. Love- like, like Anthony and Brandon, Marty was the worst, but Anthony and Brandon <laughs> were pretty cool. I, I, a monster. I, I loved, um, as much as they were a lot of work, I really loved doing beach baptisms. Um, I, I really, I really like it. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, what I began to see as people that were good people that went to that church that didn't want to live into the status quo of what the culture around them was. I mean, like where we were, it wasn't culturally appropriate necessarily to like get to, like families get together and like get to know each other. Like it wasn't a thing. People didn't really do it. Uh, but there were families that wanted that. And I think as they saw like Josh and his wife were very intentional about forming relationships with people in the church. Um, my wife and I, we were very intentional about trying to form relationships in the church and get to know people outside of just like, I'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for serving today. And so I think as I, as, as I think about that, I think to myself, these leaders that are doing these different things behind closed doors and um, talking the way they talk about volunteers and different people behind closed doors, um, they think that they are that church. Like they think that that church is 
that church because of them. But where I think they fail as leaders is they don't realize that they actually aren't that church at all. It's instead all the people that are going to these groups that are serving on those teams that are showing up every Sunday and every super, super, super service Thursday and Tuesday for you guys in New York as well. Like the people that are showing up to those things, the people that are showing up to hand out yet another damn granola bar to somebody on the street uh, and like an invitation to Easter or something like that. Like those people are the, are those churches. And there's a really good friend of Josh and I's who continually was showing up, continually serving, continually doing these things. And Josh and I would ask him, I mean, gen, like genuinely, why do you keep coming? Why do you keep doing this? And his answer was, well, it's, it's not about anything other than the fact that I have really great friendships here. I have really great relationships here. And these are my, these are my people. Like this, this is my, this is my family. And I think that, the thing that redeems that place, at least in my mind, is the fact that they think that, that they are that church and they are not that church at all. They look yeah. nothing like their people. They I have withdrawal like from the, the community of that church. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, I, I mean, all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I've never been closer with a group of people in my yeah. life. Yeah. Um, other staff members and people in the church. I've never been closer to anyone that I've ever worked with than I was with Tiffany and Anthony. I I have lifelong friendships from people in the church that to this day uh, text me or text my wife, you know, and ask how we're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. and when we're coming back, you know, and that sort of thing. And even when my, when Charlie, our, our daughter, uh, when she sees uh, Brandon's name pop up on my phone, she says, Oh daddy, it's your BFF. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, so the, you know, close to the, the people, the people that regardless of, of where we're at are going to be lifelong friends. And yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. no, so I, I agree with that, which is why I still hang out with this dude here yeah. and do a podcast with him. <laughs> and well, uh, I, I yeah. just think ultimately, you know, is that place redeemable as in like for the future? I think there has to be like, like, like either Anthony or Brandon or even Josh, uh, pretty sure Anthony, you had just said like, even just like an outside source coming in and, you know, giving the staff the opportunity to say what they need to say anonymously, uh, and giving member their volunteers the chance to, I mean that, but that's the kind of thing that would have to be invited in by these staff members um, and that would that would show that they were interested in genuine change. So the 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 downside is I don't know that that would happen. Um, the good so I guess what I will say is that that place may not be redeemable as far as leadership is concerned, but I do think that that place in many ways doesn't need as much redemption as we might think it does. If mm. we look at the people that are attending every Sunday, as opposed to the people who are standing up and giving the message. And it's as yeah, crazy good. as that as crazy as that sounds. Maybe that's the way a church ought to look like. Maybe the leader should actually have very little influence on what the culture in the room is like for those individuals, and instead Jesus should be the one. So if they're pointing people to Jesus, and then they find Jesus and they take that and they run with that and they leave this other person in the back here in the dust because that other person isn't finding Jesus and isn't running with Jesus after that. Well, then so be it. And to me, 
that's I would rather a hundred people find Jesus and leave one person in the dust than begin worshiping this one person and never actually find Jesus at all. But you know what, Marty? Like, I think you just hit on something. I know you're trying to wrap this up, but I think you just hit on something that just made a light bulb go off. The place that we're talking about that we were all at, maybe that's there's more to what you were saying because I don't know if all of you agree, but there's def there was definitely a different feel uh, in the church on Sunday mm-hmm. than there was Monday through Friday. Heck yeah! Right. And so, like, I, I think about when I was setting up at one of our locations and doing the, the service there and hanging out with volunteers in between the service and that sort of thing. I almost had this sense of dread for Monday hmm. because I'm like, you know what? It's not just that I really enjoy doing Sunday because you should if you're in ministry. But I had this sense of dread because I knew that I was walking into this almost alternate reality where there was almost there was the, the people that ran the organization they thought that the church was this but everybody else knew that the emperor didn't have any clothes on yes. and we all knew everyone that was, <laughs> all of them yeah, yeah we all knew that it was really like this but our job the tension that we felt as staff was to keep those two worlds as far apart as we could yeah. so yeah. that they wouldn't collide and destroy each other Absolutely. No, you as a staff member, you were always protecting the people from the wizard. Yes, because you knew if they ever saw it, it it would. (laughs) It was done exactly, and that it would destroy the game. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I, 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 Anthony, I think that's so true, and I mean, I just, I have people that will still, like you guys are saying, that will still text me now and say, "Hey, just wanted to say hello, happy Thanksgiving." You know, how how's your family? What, What are you guys up to? And uh, I, I remember telling a guy, um, the same guy I was talking about earlier, um, that I was thinking about maybe just not doing ministry anymore, that I was trying to look out elsewhere just to kind of figure out something else uh, that it hadn't really worked for me. And he began crying on the phone and told me to please never leave ministry. He said, please don't ever leave ministry. You're, you're, you, had, you have impacted me so much and you've done so much for me. Um, if you left ministry, I, I don't I don't know. If that's, I just, that's just not right. That's not, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, no. So if I people think, like you, Marty, leave ministry, there's not going to be anything redeemable left. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean that with all, and not with Thank all you. sincerity. I mean, I, we don't agree on everything, I'm sure. Um, but I know that if, if you had a church, I, and somebody said, should I go to Marty's church? I'd be like, yes because I know that you're a thinker. I know that you think about things. I know that you're willing to hear from other people. I know that you're not um, isolated and insulated from information. Mm. You know what I mean? I feel the same way about Anthony. I don't, I don't agree with Anthony about everything. My God. Um, but, but if he had a church, I'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I, I, I think you, I think you need to listen to that. That I think that if if you have a heart for it, I mean, you're if if people like you leave it, there's nothing left but these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know? well, and then, thank you, man. That that really means a lot coming from you because you were one of the people besides Anthony that I looked up to the most. Because the only thing redeemable about Monday through Friday for me was when I got to have calls with New York, um, <laughs> <laughs> because it was it was the people that that made me laugh 
these were the people that were thinking similarly to me. These were the people that, yeah. you know, like you said, they, they, they saw the wolf in sheep's clothing the same way that I did. Um, and they were in the plight of, I mean, I guess I could just quit right now, but then what does that mean? Like that, that looks scary that I don't know what that means to just up and leave. Plus like there's all this other stuff like, and I've got these 20 projects that I'm working on. And if I quit, who will take care of those? And I, like, I was like, if I quit, Josh will take care of all that stuff and that will suck for him. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want to do that to him. So ultimately I think, you know, I guess to answer the question, there really isn't an answer, but I, I think, mm-hmm. I think where we, where we really are and where we really fall is the fact that, um, I think what we need our people at, that attend church to see is that you are so much more the church than mm-hmm. the leaders that are standing up on stage. And it looks like they're putting together this program and they're doing this amazing thing, or they're planning this event or that event, and they're doing all this work. Uh, and so it's easy to assign ownership of the church to them. Um, but I think if you ask the genuine leaders, they will tell you, we aren't the church any more than you are. And if you wouldn't attend the church that you work at, I think you have a real problem. And uh, if you wouldn't follow the leaders that lead your church, I think you have a real problem. And, but if you've got a church full of dozens or hundreds or whatever it might be people um, then I, that you love I think you found something there. And, and so I guess to close us out, I think what I'm trying to say is the church is so much more than these people And these. We can let these individuals live in their little world. They can live in their little space. They can believe that they can uh, impact somebody's career moves years down the road. Um, if they say something that that person didn't like, they can believe that if they want to, they can believe that, they've got the most impactful, fastest growing, whatever they want to call themselves place ever in the world. They can believe all that stuff all they want, but when the rubber hits the road, the church has nothing to do with them if that's all they're focused on. Um, So all I'm saying is that um, Anthony and Brandon, you guys are awesome. (laughs) This was a great conversation. And it's really insightful to hear from people that, um, we're out, we're in the trenches at the same time, because I mm-hmm. think that that gives us a different viewpoint than, and I, I love the scholars we've talked to. I love the people we've talked to on this podcast, but it's, it's the episodes where we've had people. That's that a are, flex in case you guys are wondering what Marty was doing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. flex. <laughs> I mean, just to say that you guys have talked to some, some legit guys yeah, and, and girls. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to you guys and I'm, I'm honored just to be able to talk to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we are, you know, our hope is that talking to people like you as well, people that are in the trenches and that did it um, will help people. If you're listening now and you're in ministry, but you're working with a guy or a girl, that's just totally outside the realm of a leader. And you've wondered what to do. I mean, I, we, I, I think the four of us can all agree. We just hope that what we talked about today gives you hope. Um, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, even if that light means leaving and moving your family somewhere or Mm -hmm. uh, just leaving and doing something in the same place you're currently at, but like finding somewhere new to be like there, it is possible to get out of those places. And I think if you look at it and you say, all these things that I've been told are so important really aren't all that important. (laughs) They don't need to be carried 
so heavily by me. And when you realize that and you have freedom from that, I think you can find freedom from these people. Um, so that's all I have to say. If anyone has anything to, to close us out, that'd be great. Um, sweet. Well, yeah, then I'll, I'll wrap us up then. Um, yeah, just, I want to echo Marty real quick and thank you guys for hanging out with us today. Um, like on a personal note, this conversation has been just super, super helpful for myself. Um, ju- I mean, especially to just the, I know it sounds trivial, but to know that there were other people in a space that were thinking or experiencing similar, th- similar things to myself is just helpful to know. Um, because I know I could always talk to Marty. I didn't know you guys that well when uh, when we worked together. So um, he thought I you guys hated him. To be honest, I, I thought everybody hated me because that's kind of like that's everybody what I was, hated everybody. You it's couldn't. true, but that that's that's what <laughs> I was. You, you made a t-shirt design really difficult for me and Anthony <laughs> one time. We did hold that against you for quite some time, but we, oh, we, we, we only, I remember that. I remember we that only t-shirt had design. Five other projects spinning that we had to be working on. That's <laughs> yeah, why. dude, I was hyped. <laughs> I was hyped about that t-shirt thing. I remember that. And then, cause then how they fixed it too, is they did like one in New York and one in Boca and like, oh man. Anyway. Yeah. So thank thank you guys for hanging out. It was helpful for myself. And also I know it'd be helpful for the other people. One thing, um, I'm going to do the thing that Marty did in flex real quick. Uh, uh, one thing that Rob Bell said to us, when we were talking to him, uh, that has stuck with me is just, um, What's meaningful is when you can have a conversation and you're willing to go far enough into yourself uh, that other people can find themselves there too. Then that's when things get interesting. And so I think we accomplished that in this conversation. And so I just want to thank you, Anthony and Brandon, for going far enough into yourself where other people can hopefully find themselves too. And uh, yeah, it was good. And uh, I'm sure you guys will kick my ass in fantasy football for the rest of the season. Because <laughs> my team is awful. That was mine. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Thank guys. you. And listeners, as always, go Caps. And go Blackhawks. And forget about hockey for Anthony and maybe the Carolina Hurricanes for Brandon. <laughs> go, go, go Packers. There no. you go. Go Packers. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Aaron. <laughs> Peace and love, guys. <laughs>